I'm Christina Rea, and welcome back to Breaking Out of Breaking In, a practical filmmaking podcast about taking your creative career into your own hands and making great work that gets seen without playing the Hollywood game. Or at least while changing the rules. Hi, I'm Brie Castellini, your other co-host, and today we are breaking down budgeting. If you'd like to suggest an upcoming topic, send us a compliment, ask a question, or otherwise get in touch, you can hit us up on Twitter or Instagram at breakingoutpod or via email breakingoutofbreakinginpod at gmail.com. And uh, lucky for you, we've got another special guest today. So Pulkit, please introduce yourself. Who are you and what do you make? Who am I? That's a really important question. Um, hi, I'm Polka Datta. I am a filmmaker. I produce, I direct, I write, and I program. I have been working in films for, I guess, around 11 years now. I produce everything from documentaries to short films to commercials, music videos, and everything in between. Very cool. Cool. So is that how you make your living? As a, as a filmmaker? Yeah. So I uh, freelance as primarily as a producer. So I, I tend to get hired for, you know, producing different kinds of projects. And then I also uh, make a living doing programming and working for film festivals. Cool. How many projects do you usually have happening simultaneously? I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> At any given point in time, it well, it depends on what's going on, the season and all of that, but I usually have at least two or three running simultaneously. And that's sort of the nature of freelancing as a producer as well. You kind of need to have multiple things running at the same time because anything can stop at any moment. So what has that been like in COVID, freelancing, producing for things that you have to be in person for? Not fun and not easy. It's unfortunately, COVID brought a lot of productions to a halt, so... A lot of the shoots that I was supposed to have going, you know, in the beginning of the year just completely stopped or were postponed indefinitely. So some some stuff was moved to sort of the virtual world, but every other shoot is sort of just waiting right now. And I, I actually had to pivot to doing more virtual events uh, because of COVID. So a lot of film festivals, a lot of producing individual events online, and then also every now and then I'll get, you know, hired to work on a budget or work on something which doesn't need, you know, me to be somewhere in person. But I really miss being on set. Yeah, I, yeah, I also miss <laughs> Yeah, Christina and I just every day. It's like, man, remember when we were on sets? Wasn't that nice? <laughs> I'm wondering from a producer perspective, like what are you attracted to working on? What is your, do you have sort of like a mission statement within your producing work? You know, it's funny you ask me that because every year, I tell myself that I'm going to come up with a very clear strategy and mission statement of what I want to do. And then the whole year goes by and I'm like, oops, that didn't happen. But I think, so there's a couple of things. One is I tend to gravitate towards projects that give me new challenges. You know, I've produced a lot of short films and I love short films and that's, you know, I, I make them too and I love them. But even with short films, I need a challenge. I need a film that I haven't worked on before, like a type of film that I haven't worked on before, or something that that has a new element to it, whether it's a genre-specific film or whether it's, you know, a film that has an interesting sequence, something that that is a challenge as a producer. And then last year, for example, I produced a commercial, which I've done a few commercials, not too many, but this one came to me and it was... A challenge in every which way, just logistically, mentally, emotionally, everything. And I did it, and it was a really difficult experience, but I, I, I learned so much coming out of it. Um, so I think one, one, that's one aspect of it, where I, I want to take on projects that challenge me. The other aspect is, 
in some way, shape, or form, projects that are bridging communities in some way or bridging divides or helping people understand something new. I mean, that applies a lot more to projects I also originate, like I, I start with. But when I get hired for stuff, I do keep that in mind. So how are people finding you? You said that a commercial came to you. So how, how do you, is it just referral? Like how, how are you getting work? A lot of it's referrals. I mean, the, the film industry or media industry works um, almost entirely on referrals. Uh, it's about networking, who you know, and all of that fun stuff. And so I've, you know, I've done a lot of that in, in the past many years. I've, I've gone to a lot of networking events. I've worked on a lot of shoots. I've also just maintained a lot of relationships with, with production companies and producers and things like that. So a lot of these projects some, tend to come to me in these roundabout ways of like, hey, this person suggested I should contact you or like a friend of a friend of a friend, which is great. I mean, it's, it's great to know that people think of me when they're thinking of projects. And then sometimes I do apply because, you know, I'm part of a lot of the one area where Facebook has been very productive, actually, for me has been a lot of filmmaker groups on Facebook where, you know, people post jobs and gigs and things like that. So you just kind of apply it to whatever seems interesting. And then I'm also part of um, a few other communities on Slack. And for example, the Asian American Documentary Network, which is on Slack, it's a community of Asian American filmmakers. And so they have a jobs channel. So like there's people who post gigs and things like that. But yeah, so far I think majority of the stuff comes to me through referrals. Cool. So uh, what are we talking about today, Brie? Yeah, well, so we are breaking down budgeting. And so there's like a couple of different places that we could start. Uh, I guess, Pulkit, for you, we're mostly talking on this podcast, so far at least, to like narrative filmmakers and especially narrative filmmakers who are like in the lower budget range. So maybe we should first start with like, what does a low budget film even mean? Does it mean anything? Could it mean anything? <laughs> Do you have like an experience of having to define like the way that you refer to budgets? Like what does low budget mean to you as a as a working film producer? I mean, there's a there's an official definition, you know, that for example, the unions have like SAG and everything. But of course, you have to stick to that for their purposes. But I think for me, there's I mean, it's completely dependent on the context. I've worked on short films that have had a budget of like, say, five or six thousand to forty thousand for shorts. Commercials with that start, I mean, commercials tend to have more money anyway, but commercials that also start at lower end and then go up much higher. So it, it kind of varies on project to project, on a project to project basis. But I now, I think after having done so many projects, I have sort of set my own limits of how low I will go. Sure. Mm. You know, I used to do a lot of projects in the past because I knew the filmmakers, they were friends, or I wanted to support people, and or it was just a, a topic that really excited me. And then now I think I just have to be more practical sometimes. Do you mind sharing yeah. those numbers? with us like what like do you mind sharing the number of like how low you will go for like a day rate or mm -hmm. you know like, what how do we how do we hire you what's the budgeting for Pulkit? <laughs> yeah so it's okay so I'll, I'll give you a few different kinds of scenarios in terms of a short film budget total i prefer not to work on anything that's less than around fifteen thousand. pure and and that's for a few different reasons a you know i like to get paid a little bit <laughs> it's not a lot a little bit but then i also want to make sure everyone else gets paid i mean i've been through the whole thing where i've called in favors i've asked friends to work for free and all that stuff and i get it people need to start somewhere and people need to make their film somehow but i just i think i've reached a point now where i've told myself like maybe actually you know what this might be part of my mission statement i'm, I'm forming <laughs> it as i'm talking to you but it's it's something you know i, I 
I believe ethically in, in paying everyone, even if it's something. So for that reason, I think around 15,000 is a, is a decent amount for shorts. I may go down to like 10 or 12, but depending on the scope of the film. But that's roughly the, the budget. And then in terms of day rate stuff, so it's, when I get hired, it's either a day rate or it's either a flat rate, a flat fee. With shorts, it's very difficult to have a day rate because that will end up being the entire budget. Sure. So I don't use, I'm, I'm fair with that. So with shorts, you know, I've done producing for like $500 flat fee or like $1,000 flat fee or $1,500 flat fee. Like I'll do that. Um, knowing, and, and, I, and I make that judgment call balancing all the options I have but knowing that it's not going to be my main source of income in that moment and if it's something I really believe in and the filmmaker I really believe in then I'll do it but for bigger projects often with documentaries because docu feature documentaries because they tend to last longer or like feature films or commercials and other stuff or music videos I think now the lowest day rate I would go for on a producing level would be like maybe like around 450 ish I started much lower. I started like 250 and then I realized like, and then this, I, you know, I'd love to also go into this a little bit later, but like producers are sort of the unsung heroes of, of any production, any project. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so they usually get paid the least and have to work the most. I made, I made a conscious decision myself one day to be like, you know what? I need to set a minimum where I'm not screwing myself over. No, and that's that's a great piece of advice. Yeah. Totally. I mean, the thing about, I think everyone's always looking for a producer, right? So many directors I talk to is like, oh, I just need a producer to get to that next level or to get me the funding or whatever. And it's just like, they're really hard to get because they do so much work. Everyone, everyone wants to be like a writer or a director. And I don't think that people fully appreciate how much goes into producing, but it is hard to like, it's hard to make money off of movies in general, which is, you know, a big yeah. part of why we do this podcast. And so it's hard to like find a budget to be able to pay someone. So I think that that's, it's, it's a hard, it's just a hard thing that we're in, like wanting to have a person who is going to do that work and pay them well for it, but then also like find the funding. Yeah especially if you're, you know, a marginalized creator, it's harder to find funding. Yeah. I, I think it's great that we're having your perspective, though, because Brie and I both make films that would not qualify for your <laughs> minimums. <laughs> but that's also why we are producers out of necessity. Yeah. We produce our own work. We don't have other producers. Yeah, I think for a lot of people, when they say like, oh, I just need a producer, what that's really shorthand for is I want someone else to do the boring work. Yeah. Like I want somebody <laughs> else to like make the schedule and send emails to everyone. I just want to do the fun, creative stuff. And yeah. like realistically, yeah. that's not a good reason to go get a producer, especially right. if you can't pay them. But I think that's mm -hmm. sort of the assumption is that like if I just had a producer they'll do the boring stuff and I can just be creative and an artist I think that's definitely true but I also think that filmmakers directors in particular sometimes think that producers like hold the keys to to the gates in some way like they're just sort of like oh they have this access that if I can just get them on board then I'll have right. that access or like they have they know people with money and at the end of the day they're just like hustling for funding exactly. the same way that you would be if you were doing it yourself right so that I think is I, and like, you know for me I, I see producing is actually a very important partnership with the director or the writer and the writer director especially when it comes to shorts and uh, short films and uh and documentaries to a certain extent. So here, here's the other part of producing. A lot of people tend to 
uh, like Brie, you were saying, a lot of people think of producers as like doing the boring work, right? The grunt work. They don't often see producer as like a creative partner in the project. And, you know, I also have a background in writing and direct. I also direct. So like, I love the creative stuff equally. When I come on board to produce a project, nowadays, I like to come on board usually in the sort of early stages of the project being, I mean, not, not like, um, not like the first draft of a script, but like at least having a decent draft of a script where I can then come in and also give some kind of feedback and and work with the filmmaker. And and what I find really exciting at that sort of early stage is working with the writer director to identify, you know, the, the, the creative and emotional goals of the story and then bringing sort of a more practical logistical lens to it as well to see like how can we execute this, right? Sure. For example, I'm producing a short film which was supposed to shoot back in April, right when COVID started. But we had everything in place and the moment, you know, the lockdown hit, that was our shoot dates. So anyway, it's been on hold, but you know, it's something I still definitely want to make, but it it, it was a short script that when it first came to me, and I know the filmmaker from from, you know, other uh, context before so she, she's a friend of mine and when I first read the script it had certain scenes which I immediately my producer brain was like oh these are going to be expensive right <laughs> yeah oh that that producer brain it's a killer yeah and and the thing is but but I also understand it from a creative point of view of like I can't go to a writer and be like delete the scene because it's expensive so then what I do is I sit with them and I say okay I'm let, let's understand the creative goal of this scene what are you trying to accomplish between these characters and the emotional arc or whatever of this scene? Let's recontextualize it to make it more feasible from a production point of view. And that's, I think, an important perspective sometimes writer-directors who may not have that producing experience need. And I've done that in the totally, past. Yeah. I've given feedback to certain writers on their scenes that have been really expensive and they just like did not take it well. And ultimately, I, you know, I didn't end up working on those projects. But, you know, you kind of have to, it, it's a relationship, right? You have to kind of form that relationship of trust where the, the filmmaker also has to trust you that you're not saying things just to like cut the budget. You're saying things to actually make it happen, like to make it feasible. You know, like, I mean, this is a sort of a vague example, but like, if you have a scene in your script, which is like two people driving in a car and like most of it's most of the scenes happening in, in a moving vehicle down a highway or something. Yes, there's there's guerrilla ways of shooting that without, you know, involving the cops or, you know, shutting down the highway, whatever. But again, there's there's other risks involved in like shooting in a moving vehicle and like shooting low budget and blah, blah, blah. So then I would come in and say, okay, what are you, what are you trying to accomplish in this scene? Is, is it about these two people arguing in a car while they're driving? What end do you want for this scene? Can we move it to like even a parked car somewhere where like someone gets out of the car and like has that same argument? Or can we move it to some other location that's easier to execute, right? Totally. Yeah. So for me, that that's also super important, like coming in at the beginning to kind of shape that. Yeah, no, that's, it's great advice. I, uh, I teach two production classes at the graduate level and I'm mostly working with like writers and to a lesser extent like actors directors and so most of them don't have producing experience so even when the class that I'm teaching isn't specifically production based as soon as they write the first episode of whatever it is and I teach mostly digital series so like web series kind of stuff as soon as they've written their like pilot episode I make them do a script breakdown even if they never intend to go into production I force them to write down like every element of this script that they have put into it like what 
What what have you done to yourself? How many characters do you have? How many of them are speaking? How many scenes need extras? How many individual props do you have? How many individual locations? Uh, and then I make them break it down into three columns of what do we already have? Mm-hmm. What do we need to buy? And what can we maybe borrow? And so that also helps to contextualize like, hey, I'm not saying you can't do all of this. If you have access to, you know, a cafe and to, a, you know, an empty restaurant, blah, blah, blah. Like, great, let's use that. Right. If you don't, all right, well, now is the time to start thinking before you move forward with your writing, is the empty restaurant like a really key part of this or could we move it somewhere else? And so like forcing them to think about the actual building blocks of it helps go a long way to solve some budgeting problems early before you get to the budgeting stage. Exactly. And I I think it also helps improve on the writing too, because Mm -hmm. when you start thinking more efficiently and more cost effectively, I I think the actually the writing becomes tighter and, and stronger because you're trying to come up with creative solutions within a very limited means, right? Totally. Yeah. Limitation always breeds creativity and it doesn't have to be like limiting in any other way than you want it to be. Something else that I like to start with, especially when I'm talking to like newer producers is before you even start writing, like let's say you have some character ideas or whatever, but if you don't know what you're going to write yet, don't start with the story. First start with what do you have access to? Especially things that are like unique to you, you know? So like I'll make them write a list of like, what are all the locations that I could shoot at for free? Or that somebody would give me for really cheap if I was creative about it. How many actors do I know? What are like unique props that I have access to? Like, you know, I now have a puppet of myself in my home. What can I do with that? You know? So like, if you make these lists of like, what are things that I uniquely have access to that can also start to spark like, oh, I don't, I'm, I'm not missing anything. I can totally make something out of this and tell the kinds of stories I want to tell. And I don't have to limit myself because I already know what I have access to. So right. I'm writing to my resources and then using them to like the greatest degree that I can. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So many of my shorts uh, tend to just be born out of me feeling restless because I want to direct something and I haven't in a while. And I'm like, okay, I have no money, but what do I have? I have this location. I, you know, have these weird props that I just got for this reason. And I have like my you know one of my best friends who's an actor and will work for free and and that's and that and I have a camera so like that's a lot of what I love about shorts in particular is that you can kind of just do that and like take those risks and not have such high stakes and and the other thing I also want to point out is you know it's it's also not on the filmmaker to raise all the money to be able to bring on a producer if you establish it as a partnership from the beginning then the producer will also work to raise money for you, you know? So, I mean, it has to be, it has to be sort of a harmonious relationship where you're not just like dumping everything on the producer to be like, now it's your problem. Mm -hmm. You're kind of saying like, okay, let's figure out creative solutions to like raise this money to make sure, you know, we all get paid. Um, And I've done that and I've done that in many situations where I've worked with a filmmaker from the very beginning to be like, okay, I, I love this project. I believe in it let's figure out creative ways of raising money so we can all get paid and make it a decent budget. And, and it works out. In those cases, I'm we're going to talk about funding in another episode, but I'm curious, especially with you as a producer, when you, especially for features, like when you're brought on early like that and part of what you're bringing, being brought into for is for, crowd, is for funding, whatever form of funding you're trying to help them find, are you essentially working on like a deferred payment or is it like back end 
points or what how are you sort of making that work because especially if the funding phase is going to be like months to year to a year let's say of development for a feature and it's like you know a quarter of a million dollars or something and you're and you're yeah. like are, how are you making a living in that time and how do you make that work with other projects that's a really good question um it, it comes back to sort of weighing all the options I have at that given moment. So it, I'm, I'm glad you asked me that now because I'm actually in a situation where I am producing a feature, which obviously had to be, the entire project had to be deferred <laughs> but to next year, we hope. But again, that was supposed to shoot in the fall, like right now. And I, I came on board at the end of last year as one of the producers and they had a little bit of, the director already had a little bit of money raised from a private investor, but I came on board as on a deferred basis. So I, in the budget, I have a deferred fee and I also have backend points. But when I took that project on, I, at that moment, I had to weigh it against actual money I was getting from other work and, and kind of literally sit down and do the math and be like, can I survive if I do this project deferred right now and do this other work for paid? Like, can I make this work? And I could, thankfully. And I mean, I'm still, we're still working on that project. And again, it, it comes down to like how much I believe in that and how much, how excited I am to take on something like that. And that situation, you know, I gave it a lot of thought. I had a lot of conversations with the director before I said yes. You know, I looked over their initial budget. I looked over everything. Like I just, I, I gave it time and I gave it several like weeks even for me to like be like, do, do I wake up and like, do I feel excited about this project and being with it for like the next several years? And the answer was yes, eventually. So I, I that's why I came on board. And in that situation, you know, I've been working with the filmmaker and now we have another producer as well. But we're working together to find sources of funding to raise money and it's working. I mean, slowly, but it's working. Um, but ultimately it's also because we know that all of our fees are deferred. So like the harder we work, the the faster we get paid, you know? <laughs> yeah. So when you're, when you're working on something like that, in addition to like some smaller projects that are paying you initially, you know, or that you will be getting paid for, how are you budgeting? Ha, look, multiple uses of this word. How are you budgeting like your time and how are you sort of laying out your week or your month to determine like, okay, so this project I really love, but I'm only getting like a really small flat fee. This one I'm getting, you know, I'm, I'm deferred. This one has a, like, how are you balancing that in your day-to-day -day life to make sure that you can pay rent, but also like not feel totally overwhelmed? You're asking all the tough <laughs> questions. Um, this is going deep. It's, yeah, I mean, there, there is a certain level of calculation that needs to happen. I tend to prioritize generally by, by timeline. So let's go with a hypothetical example right now because most of the projects aren't happening, but I'm going to make stuff up. If right now, you know, I'm working on this, I'm producing this feature, which is deferred. But at the same time, if I get a, I mean, I mean I'm also working on a film festival, which is paying me. So that, that is a, not a hypothetical, it's a real example. But then say I get another project, like a commercial or something that wants to shoot in the next few weeks, right? And they're ready to go. Usually commercials come to you when they're like ready to go. They have money and they're just like, turn this around in two weeks. I tend to prioritize based on timeline and based on the needs of the project. So I would say, okay, if the, this ongoing festival is, is top priority right now because I'm one of the lead producers of it and if I don't do it, it will stop. Um, so that's my top priority. But then I know this commercial needs to start in like two weeks. So then I'll start sort of slowly moving time away into that. And then for the deferred projects, I tend to sort of 
allocate you know a few hours each week to those projects and i'm doing that on, on an ongoing basis even this year through covid like the shorts that got deferred or the feature i tend to dedicate a few hours each week to like touch base with the filmmaker to like follow up on emails to whatever or have, you know have phone calls with potential funders or whatever so i do that on a regular basis obviously things go quiet on deferred projects sometimes when nothing happens for a few weeks which is fine but it's it's uh, definitely for me i think in terms of budgeting my life and and just making sure i'm not overwhelmed all the time i mean i am but but that's, <laughs> that's a different issue but i i tend to prioritize based on timeline money coming in or, or like which project has the urgency at that moment do you ever give yourself like caps like based on the money i'm getting from this project i can only budget five hours a week on it like do you yeah. are you that granular um in some cases yes some cases it depends on the dynamic of that project and and what that means is it, it's the people you're working with it's the quote-unquote like work culture of that project and you can get a good sense sometimes of like are these people who are just gonna like milk all of my time and not you know really be considerate about how much time i'm putting in are these people mm-hmm. who are genuinely like trying to do something awesome and like are respectful and all that stuff if it's people who I feel like are being very are taking advantage in some way of my time then I will set very clear boundaries of like I've crossed my hours I'm not doing anything more if you if I'm doing more you pay me overtime but in other cases like yeah I don't I don't count the hours for like shorts or whatever I'm just like you know what it has to get done and I love this project so I'll get it done but yeah I I think one thing for producers and for budgeting and everything I think that's super important is setting internal boundaries I think producers just like directors and writers tend to work all the time on their projects yeah once you get invested in something you kind of spend any free time you have on it and sometimes that's a detriment of your own like mental and physical health so i i have i'm learning and i'm still learning to like set those boundaries for myself to be like you know what this time in the evening i need to chill and i need to do something that's not related to a project or you know in the past what i used to do was when i was juggling several projects i would you know if people from all those teams would would message me or call me i would respond to everything right away like if if one if my director for the feature would text me i'd respond to him right away and i'm like you know what that can wait. It's not a, It's not an emergency. He can wait a few more hours or he can wait till the next morning for me to respond to this. And that actually made me feel a lot better about how I'm structuring my time. <laughs> it's amazing what boundaries do, you know? I know, yeah. yeah. And I'm, I'm notoriously terrible at boundaries. Something that I've started doing, especially for like non-day job stuff, is being really clear with my collaborators about how I want to be communicated with. Because like for me, if you text me, I'm going to have to text you back. Otherwise, I have no way of like archiving that that text. Like I have no way of organizing it. So I'm like, if this is a non-emergency and I really need you to think, is it a non-emergency? Because it might be an emergency to you. But if it's not an emergency to me, does not count. Please email me. If you email me, I can mark it for later. And I promise you I will get back to you when I have the time and when I know you need an answer. But if you're going to text me, it better be something that like I have to respond to right away because otherwise I'm just not going to. Right. And that's going to be ultimately on you. And I'm not going to take any responsibility <laughs> for that. Like, And that's also something is like, listen, these are my boundaries. Yeah. If you do not respect them, it's not my fault. Yeah. If I miss something because you haven't like worked with me in the system that I've given you, 
there is only so much I can do. Like I am a full person with a bunch of other stuff going on yeah. right now. Like this is a collaboration, just like you said, this is a partnership. Yeah. So, you know, tell me how you want to be communicated with and I will do back and we will do our best to just like be open and honest with one another about like, this is what I need right now. These are the things that have to happen. And these are the things that can wait until our next meeting. I agree. That's right. <laughs> So uh, before we move off of producing, because this kind of went into a producing angle, which is great because I think a lot of people have a lot of misconceptions about what producing is. We yeah. actually have some questions from Twitter that I thought uh, were uh, that are sort of related to budgeting, um, but also very related to like producer decisions. So first, we have a question from Mystery Mansion Web Series on Twitter, uh, and they ask, how is COVID affecting insurance rates? Is it affecting insurance? Uh, it is. Um, and I'm going to preface that by saying that because a lot of my production stopped i haven't had to delve too much into the insurance world because of uh, during this time but from the research i've done because I, I was at some point trying to figure out if we could do some shoots it's a really messy situation right now with insurance and all the covid protocols where you know even with workers comp and stuff like technically like if anything happens if, if a crew member gets covid it's on you as a producer and and there was a whole there was a whole controversy around like liability waivers as well of like produce some producers were trying to get their cast and crew to sign this thing <laughs> saying like if i get covid it's not the producer's fault and then the unions like jumped on them they're like no 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 <laughs> it is your fault so yes insurance i think the the rates have gone up because the risk factor has gone up significantly and with the unions it's a, even more complicated because each of the unions and makes you do extra paperwork to make sure you're compliant mm. with the covid protocols and if you're not they just like don't let you do it so yeah it's not an easy time to be doing productions <laughs> Yeah. No, definitely not. Are the different unions COVID protocols the same or are there like distinctions for each? So it's like it might be more hardy for the actors. But if you were just working with like a crew, the rules would be different or are they pretty much the same? They're more or less the same because I think a lot of the unions scramble to like figure this out. Not together, but they kind of, you know, scramble to like figure things out quickly. The rules for... For example, SAG is, you know, the actors union, there's, they're really particular, obviously, about the safety of the actors. So there's a lot of protocols there about how are you keeping your actors safe from everything. The, the crew unions are, are slightly different because crew tends to be working in a lot more like close proximity to each other mm -hmm. than actors mm -hmm. do sometimes. So there's a lot more risk there. And then and then you have the interactions between the crew and the, and the cast, right? And mm -hmm. so there's like some producers were saying you know what like how do we keep our crew and our cast separate from each other during the shoot like do we do we like have the gaffers and everyone grip and gaffers come in set everything up and then leave mm. you know and then you bring in the cast which is kind of crazy for those of us who've been making films for many years because you're like well what if you need to fix a light during the shot yeah. and then you have to like evacuate the actors and then like, bring bring the, <laughs> the you know the gaffer back in so the, yeah, I think it's right now it's a very complicated situation. So the people who are doing it, the, pr the productions that are happening either are getting away with bending the rules or are really big productions with a lot of money to spend on making sure they do that well. Yeah, from like a, an outside perspective, from what I've seen, there are kind of two camps. There are the really big budgeted projects that can just like ride through it because they have the funding. 
And then there are the like really small projects where no one is union and everyone's taking a risk and like I definitely can't fit in that first one and I don't want to be the person that does that second one. I think I don't want that on my shoulders. I like if anyone got sick on my set, that would be like the worst thing. I would feel guilty for the rest of my life. And so for me, I'm just like not producing anything until I feel like it's fully safe to do so. But I mean, as a producer, you already have the risk of like, I mean, any injury on on your set is technically your fault. So that's already like something we live with. And then on top of this, you have this like pandemic, and like a virus that, you know, we don't know much, you know, enough about right now to like figure it out. So it's just, it's just too, too um, high stress of a situation for a lot of producers, including myself. I have done a couple of remote shoots, but even in that situation, you know, I was dealing with SAG and because I had SAG actors and we had to assure them that the crew and the actors were not in the same physical space. And then they were fine with it. But mm-hmm. we had to put it in writing to be like, we are directing remotely and producing remotely. The actors have cameras in their own homes. That's how we're filming it and we're doing it over Zoom or whatever. We had to put it in writing and then they're like, okay, fine, that's okay. But the moment you're saying there's any crew member in the same physical space as the actor, that's when everything else kicks in, like all the protocols and everything. And the insurance. Right. Yeah, and the insurance. Uh, Okay, so one more question. This isn't specific to COVID, but is specific to payroll. Joe Gold on Twitter asks, for ultra low budget indies, which I don't think is what he's talking about, because technically no budget is anything other 50000 And it seems like Joe is asking a question about under $50,000 budgets. Mm-hmm. But but he asks, for ultra-low-budget indies, are productions still 1099-ing the non-union crew, or are they using a payroll company and W-2-ing them? I know the laws in California have gotten stricter about when we can 1099, and it seems like California wants us to W-2, but of course, that's more expensive. Yes, California has been changing those laws. The last I checked, uh, I mean, in New York, because I'm based I'm working in New York, um, it's still 1099. Especially for these low-budget films, you know, going through payroll, in one way, the payroll is makes your life a lot easier in many regards as a producer, but then it's also more expensive. So then you have to allocate more money in the budget for payroll fees and, and taxes and everything. But uh, yeah, I think the East Coast, or at least in New York situation is still 1099. Cool, thanks Good for answering know. those. Yeah. Okay, so let's let's actually talk about budgeting so when you start with like putting a budget together what are what are like the main things that you're looking at just as you're glazing over and putting everything in its place like what are the things that you tend to focus on first starting with obviously a breakdown like you mentioned the main things i look at right off the bat the people involved the number of people involved whether it's cast or crew and then anything big that jumps out at me in the script uh regards with regards to either location or some kind of element in the script that's going to to hike up the budget so usually when I'm reading and I read tons and tons of scripts all the time and so just by reading a script I get a really good idea sometimes of like roughly what it's going to cost and if I'm reading a script that has a car chase right and I'm like there you go alarm bells like that needs to be dealt with but if it's like a group of people in an apartment in a living room that's the entire story then budgeting that is super easy because then it's mostly just focusing on the the people involved, like who's getting paid and what they're getting paid. So for me, those are the big elements as people and, and places slash like elements or set pieces, if you want to call them. Then it's the other stuff. So I generally, when I start budgeting something, 
and this is when I have, it's really funny when I'm dealing with clients who say I'm working for the first time, like with these commercials or something, and they ask me to give them an initial budget. I always start with a budget that's much higher than it needs to be. And, and that's always, I mean, for me, it's smart practice because you don't want to overpromise, right? And you don't want to get people's hopes high of like, oh, we can do this in like this really cheap amount. So I will deliberately put in like the healthiest, you know, fluffiest numbers in there because I, I need to start from a much higher amount to then know what I can cut down on. And with people I haven't worked with before, and it's like first time clients, that always scares them, always, right? And they're always like, why is this so high? What have you done? Like, what have you added? I'm like, don't worry, it will come down. I need to start at this level so you know realistically what it should cost. I always do that. That always gets interesting reactions. And then I sit down and I figure out, okay, what can I cut down and where? And that's where all your like relationships come in, your, you know, with vendors and all that fun stuff. And then that's also when the tweaking of the content comes in, the creative comes in, where you're like, okay, sure. if I move this scene from here to here, I can cut this down, stuff like that. Are there any specific items that are just like, this is what it is every time? Good question. Um, food. Mm, right. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know this, but you know, you should pay, you should feed your team well. And that's not just meals, everyone. It's also like snacks and yes. drinks. That's something yeah. that when I was first budgeting, even for my like tiniest projects, I 100% forgot about it. I was like, okay, I'll get everybody lunch. But then it's like, well, we're on set for yeah. eight hours Crafty, and people yeah. are bored. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I, lo I love some snack stuff. Like I, I love like budgeting for snacks because also like I love getting snacks for shoots. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so food is really, you know, food I think is something that, that I, I don't like compromising on. And then in terms of people's rates, you know, again, that varies based on the level of production. But, you know, ideally I would like to have some sort of minimum for like the key crew, whether it's DP, you know, AD, uh, gaffer, stuff like that. But no, I, I don't think there's like a fixed amount for anything because even with camera equipment or any lighting equipment, I can get deals or I can like figure things out. Yeah, so I don't think there's like anything that's absolutely fixed. So my question is actually similar to yours, Christina. My question was going to be, what are the things that cost more that pe than people think that they do? Especially when you're working with like first time producers or producers who aren't as familiar with the money side of making stuff and they're more involved on in the creative. Lighting, always. The equipment or the people? Well, both, but the, but the equipment too, because I think a lot of first time filmmakers don't, realize what goes into lighting a set well i mean yes there's you know there's more sort of amateur ways of doing it too but that's fine if that's the, what they want to do but if you want to lit well it needs a certain level of lighting equipment and then to you know i think just having having the right type of people like the right type of crew who will elevate your production i've had so many arguments with filmmakers where there's like why do i need a gaffer why do i need this why do i need this and i'm like you know what you may not you may not need all these people but what is important for you in this film like do you want it to be lit well in that case i'm like i'm not a lighting expert you are not a lighting expert let's get someone who is and make sure we it all looks good, right? I mean, you know, there's filmmakers who also shoot their own stuff, which is perfectly fine, that's great, and they're really good at shooting their own stuff, so I'm like, cool. If you are okay with directing and, and, and shooting your own film, amazing. Do you need an assistant? Like, do you need a, a camera assistant so you can also, like, mentally switch between directing and camera and not go crazy? So that's where then I'd suggest putting in money, is like, let's get you an assistant for the camera. Um, 
I don't I don't sort of force sort of an entire like army of crew upon every production because I think it's dependent on budget, dependent on what the needs of the project are. Um, but I will sit down with a filmmaker and figure out, okay, what are the key people we need to make this work? And yes, in some cases it can be volunteers, you know, definitely call on friends if like, if it's a first time film or filmmaker or whatever, call on your friends who can like help do things. You know, a few years ago I produced a short where the lead actors and the writer were all part of this sort of collective of filmmakers and actors. And, you know, they had the rest of the collective to tap into for help. So I had several people kind of just volunteering their time coming in and like one of them was like, you know what, I will handle all the food stuff, like tell, let me know where to order from, blah, 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 I'll do it. And like, perfect. It's not one thing I don't need to worry about. And so it's so things like that. People were helping with things, but then I definitely hired a gaffer who knew what they were doing. I definitely hired <laughs> an AD who knew what they were doing because timekeeping and scheduling is super important on set. So things like that, you know, where, where things are needed, that's where I'll put the money in. I have definitely produced shorts or like I produced a short where like I was a production designer, you know, I have no expertise in production design, but like in that film, we all decided that like the production design was important, but it wasn't, it wasn't a deal breaker to like not have a professional production designer. Like it, it was simple enough that we could do it. Mm -hmm. So I did it. I, I ran that. But then we put in the money for other things that we did need expertise for. Sound is always key. Yeah. Sure. I was like, I, I was like, I knew I'm forgetting something. Sound, <laughs> very important. You know, I've, I've again, I've produced a short where like, we didn't have the budget for award for a wardrobe person on set every day. So what we figured out was, we consulted a wardrobe person who put our wardrobe together before the shoot, like a few days before the shoot. And for shorts, you can buy stuff and return clothes all the time. <laughs> but yeah, so she, you know, we hired someone who literally just gave her, gave us like one day of her time to be like, I will put your wardrobe look together for all your characters, but then I'm not, you know, we don't, we didn't have money to like have her on set every day. Then I kind of became the wardrobe person on set while I was producing just to make sure things were steamed and like, you know, they were put on the right racks or whatever. The actors knew what to wear next or whatever. So like producing is many things. <laughs> you kind of jump in <laughs> wherever you're needed. It's like, it's just filling in the gaps, right? It's filling so wherever, in the gaps. Wherever there are gaps, you just jump in. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I watched this producing video once where the guy made the point, like, as a producer, almost nothing is your fault, but everything is your responsibility. Mm -hmm. And that's, <laughs> that is the best summation of producing I've ever heard. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely something else i want to call out of things that cost more than you think are transportation that's mm -hmm. something that yeah. i definitely never really considered like getting people to and from set whether it's you're offering a stipend if you're somewhere where there's cars or if like you know the a contingency for sending going and sending a cab to somebody yeah. yes. um and then also this is just more for the newer people, but a lot of times when you're factoring in how much you're paying a crew member, depending on the type of crew member they are, they may also have a separate fee for their kit. Yep. So like a hair and makeup person, yep. it's not just their expertise. You also need the hair and makeup tools that they're using. And sometimes, especially for people whose kits are, are like depletable. So mm -hmm. like you'll run out of makeup, makeup you'll yeah. run out of gaff tape, these yeah. things like that. Like they have to contend for that in their rate. So you may have an additional rate. So that's something to plan definitely. for and ask for. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Something else I'd like to add is 
I think food, people under budget food in general, mm-hmm. but especially like thinking about the conditions you're shooting in. I remember for my very first feature, which was a huge learning experience, and we're going to talk about it in another episode. We were shooting in January in Massachusetts in the freezing cold, and people ate way more in those yeah. conditions because they were cold and like you eat, so you want to keep warm, right? Yeah. And so mm-hmm. I was like, the good thing about my sets is my mom cooks for all of my my films Aww. and she's an amazing cook. Like I love that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I recommend it to anyone who <laughs> who has anyone in their life that's a good cook if you can get them to to make food. People will love you. I think that a lot of people who have worked with me for like the last 10 mm. years will always say yes because of the fact that they're going to get to eat my mom's cooking. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and what's good is like I pay Everyone now, I'm at the point where everyone gets paid for the last few years on my sets. But in the early years, it was a lot of like favors and working Mm -hmm. for free and bartering. And it was like, at the very least, you're going to be very well fed. And a lot of those people would come back for free because of that food. But anyway, that was a situation where like I could just make my mom, ask my mom to make more, right? But if I I didn't factor that in um, and I wasn't, asking a parent to make food, I would probably be, be screwed because people were eating like two dinners <laughs> in a yeah. night, you know? <laughs> I mean, the one the one thing I have learned um, through all my work is filmmaking is always, always a team effort. And if there's a filmmaker who only sort of thinks of themselves or thinks of their project as their baby and everyone else is kind of privileged to be working with them on it, Things don't go so well. You have to acknowledge the fact that every single person who is showing up to help you make your thing, your film, is contributing significantly to it and and, and actually elevating it and making it better. And, and that's super important because even when, it, you know, food is a great example, you have to sort of put yourself in the shoes of your team. And Absolutely. like, hey, if I'm shooting in the winter... You know, what might they want? What might they crave when they're shooting outside in the cold or inside in Mm -hmm. the cold, whatever it is? Or in the summer, like, I should probably get more drinks because it's really hot out. Right. You know, and people appreciate those details. On smaller shoots, what I also tend to do sometimes is I'll ask the crew, like, what their favorite foods are, like snacks or whatever, and I'll make sure I have everyone's favorite snacks or in like smaller teams also remember to ask about food allergies and preferences so like if somebody is halal or if they're a vegetarian or a vegan like that's definitely a mistake i've seen on other people's sets where like the food is not edible for you know several crew members yeah okay and that's always a questionnaire i send out before the shoot to be like you know basically answering food preferences allergies and also health Mm -hmm. conditions that they might want to share because again as a producer the more the more information you have about your team the better and the better prepared you can be so i you know because of that i've been able to prepare my shoots better when i know that one of my crew members has a medical condition that might get exacerbated by something on set. And I'm much more mindful of that rather than like being surprised by it. Take care of your people and they'll take care of you. Yeah, yeah. 
I'm, this is something, um, just since we've been talking about food, a friend of mine who... This is not a food vlog. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It kind of is the food episode. Who knows? Uh, but my friend Kate, who's a producer, actress, writer out in LA, she has this rule where she never pays for food. She always gets it donated. Mm-hmm. And that is like mind-blowing to me. I have no idea how she does it. And I helped a little bit. It's just like emailing a lot of people being like, hey, can you donate one day's worth of food? But like, have either of you ever had food donated from like businesses? So not family members like is that an experience you've had how easy is that what are tips it's it's it can be done i've done it on a couple of occasions um it's a lot of knocking on doors and cold calling to kind of figure out but in some cases it's relationships right so depending on where you're shooting you can and if you have good relationships with vendors in the area and local businesses they will help you out or at least give you really good deals sure you know like i've i've for one of the shorts I shot, I produced, there was a deli around the corner. And, you know, we, when we were scouting and prepping, we used to go there constantly to get coffees and whatever. And so, you know, and, and part of, I think, also producing and the, what, what I do is I, I just want to build relationships with people. So, like, because I knew I'd be going to the deli every day, like, I started talking to them, getting to know them and stuff like that. And then, you know, before the shoot, when I was prepping the meals for each day, I just went down there one day and I was like, hey, you know, we're, as you know, we've been coming in every day. We're going to have a shoot. We'd love to get food from you at least one of the days. Can we, you know, is there some kind of deal or something? And they were really happy to do it. And they were excited to, you know, you know, even something as simple. Of course, you should thank them in your credits. Like, absolutely. That's the bare minimum you can do. <laughs> like, but even that to be like, hey, you know, we'll, we'll thank you in our credits. Like also making them feel special. Of, like they're contributing to this and, and their business is valuable to you. But I mean, it, it and the same goes with other vendors too, with, whether it's equipment or whether it's anything else that you're trying to get for your or locations right locations um, yeah it's a lot to do with relationships and and that's where i usually when i when i'm budgeting like i said i start with the realistic highest possible numbers and saying like hey this location might cost like 500 for the day or a thousand for the day or whatever and then i'll go and like negotiate with them and try to bring it down or or, or find locations that i can get for free but i i mean that's something i recommend a lot of first-time filmmakers is I think what you said, Brie, in the beginning of, you know, definitely start with a list of things you have access to and things you have for free. But also you should know as a as a creator what the actual value of your script is or like what the what the budget value of your script is, even if you have things for free. Right. So even if I'm shooting an entire film in my apartment, right, technically it's for free. But if I had to rent this location, what would it cost? And I think that it, it grounds the filmmaker to know that like this is how much it could have cost uh-huh. if I didn't get it for free. And I think that makes you think differently about your own film in a way. Yeah. How do you set that number? <laughs> <laughs> Just out of curiosity, how much is your living room cost, Fulkit? What's your day rate? I, you know, I would kind of do it based on my rent, uh, kind of dividing it up like a pro, like a pro rate kind of thing. But or even you know if. For example, if like Christina's mom is cooking, right, mm-hmm. um, which is amazing. But then in like a hypothetical budget, if you were hiring someone to cook every day, mm-hmm. what would that cost? Plus the ingredients, right? Because as a producer, you have to cover all of that. So like I think it's just as a good grounding exercise, that's really important for filmmakers. It's just you should still know what your, your script is worth, um, what, yeah. what, it should, what it will cost um, at full price. 
on that note also if you're applying for grants right like you have to you have mm -hmm. to actually include everything and they expect a value even if you're going to list like this is in kind they expect a value for what what uh the cost of the overall thing is i've been on the other side of of grant reviews and choosing people so i know that they yeah. a lot of people are like everything is in kind but they have this huge budget you know one more point to that was you know i and i work with this organization right now called the sphere which is a south asian um, arts organization and they're the ones running the festival so we also ran a film fund this year and we, you know, I, I read like 50 something short scripts that came to us and our our requirements on Film Freeway were that, you know, when you submit a script, you should also submit sort of a rough budget number of what you think this is going to cost because we're giving a grant. And it was so interesting that a lot of the writers, I could tell immediately that they'd never made a budget before or they didn't know what things would cost because, I mean, we're, we're giving away a small grant, it's $5,000, but they would try to squeeze their entire budget into $5,000. And I would read a script and I'm like, this is minimum 10,000. Like the way you've written the script is minimum 10,000. But they, they were just, then I would look at their budgets and I'm like, this makes no sense. Like this budget, you're just trying to show us a number to, to appease us, to be like, oh, look, it can be done in your grant. And I'm like, that's not what we're saying. You know, you don't have to make the entire film of 5,000, but we just don't know what this, what the value is, right? What the value of your script is. But I, I can tell because I read scripts all the time and I budget all the time. So I can just tell by reading a script and be like, you are, that is not an accurate number that you're giving me. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, two things I wanted to say. One, when my mom cooks for my sets, I, I pay for the ingredients. I don't pay for her services, but I do make note of what that would cost me because my dream one day is to just be able to pay my mom to be the caterer for all of my films. So so I know what she's worth and, and what she deserves. Uh, the other thing is, I think just like more transparency around budgets would be helpful because I know even on for myself I'm often like oh it's a no budget film and generally I don't spend more than two thousand dollars on a short maybe three and that that is all day rates like my entire budget goes to paying people because literally yeah. everything else is free my location right. is free the food is pretty much fee free a lot of the equipment is free because I own some of it or I or I trade off with different people that I've built relationships with and so like if I were to be honest with you, that's no, that's like a $15,000 film yeah. that I've made for 3000 because of all the things that I've gotten for free and I just paid for personnel, right? And so I, so that is the thing that I think people are like, oh, you can make, you can make a, a, this person, people often will look to me and it's like Christina makes, you know, an amazing film, sort of whatever, it's subjective, but an amazing film for, <laughs> for $500. You do make amazing films, Christina. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, on the record, full on the record, agree, Christina I will makes that. amazing films. Thank you. But, um, but like, yeah, you know, like I, I have a, a film on the circuit right now that was made for like a thousand dollars and, and people will be like, well, you did that on a thousand dollars. And it's like, yeah. I did that on $1,000 after 10 years of building relationships yes. and calling in a lot of favors yep. or just knowing what I already have as resources yes. that I can always pull from that are free. Absolutely. And there's value in that. Right, right. Your, your experience and your relationships are the value, right? Like that's how you're able to bring your budgets down. Totally. All right. Well, uh, we're getting to the end of our recording session. So I figure we could just do like a quickie thing where the three of us give like our most creative budgeting hacks for people out there who want to like 
you know, cut corners and save a buck and still treat everyone with respect and make awesome work. So uh, the example that I'll give you, the advice that I have is try to do your script breakdown super early and align them with holidays or birthdays. And then the things that you can't pay for yet are like props, specifically props and wardrobe and that kind of stuff, or even equipment, add those to your birthday and Christmas lists and use, you know, the traditional gift giving holidays to start sourcing some of your, your breakdown items. I've done that several times. And honestly, it cut my budget like nearly in half because Mm. I was just forward thinking. I'm like, I'm not shooting until, you know, September, but it's December now. I already have the script. Hey, does anyone want to buy me 150 small candles for a thing I need (laughs) in six months? And they were. They're like, I don't know why you need this, but great. Sure. That's a really good one. That is a good one. I'm trying to think. I'm going to be, I'll I'll go next if you want to think more. Um, I will be a little bit lazy cheating with this answer, but (laughs) say (laughs) that I think sometimes as if you're a writer in particular, you get yourself into trouble by writing freely and then saying, well, okay, now I've written this thing and I love it and now I want to make it exactly as I've written it. I often (laughs) will start not even go into writing until I sit down and say, what do I have? And then make the entire script be confined by those parameters that I've set. And I think that that is sort of the best thing that you can do when it comes to shorts, especially. And you'll find then your budget is very manageable because you already own most of the things or have access to them. Totally. And you're right, because if you go the other way, then you get attached to your script the way it is. And you're like, then you don't want to change anything. I mean, I have a feature that I'm really dying to make that ends with an entire backyard going up in flames. And <laughs> and I am so married to that ending, but I don't know how I would ever pull it off. And I did that because I was just writing freely, not thinking about making it. If that's the one big thing you spend on, that's okay. Sure, there's also a monster. It's not a small project. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, now it's getting more complicated. Yeah. <laughs> That's um, the car chase that Polkett mentioned seeing in a script. Like, oh, chase. yep, there it is. Yeah. There's the $15,000 of our budget. <laughs> Monster, fire, got it. <laughs> I think my advice would sort of be related to, Brie, what you were saying as well. And and Christina is kind of, kind of in between what you were saying. So basically, value the relationships you have in your life. Everyone has family, friends, colleagues, anything else. Sometimes just putting things out in the universe of what you need help with really does you know pay off in the end like I I've done this I know other filmmakers have done this would be like just put it on social media or their or send an email to your family or friends and be like I am looking I'm looking to borrow a car or I'm looking to shoot in a house that has a balcony and just put it out there someone will come through someone will always come through but that starts with knowing what breaking down your script and knowing what you need. But I think just the value of relationships and also respecting those relationships, like you can't be demanding of those relationships and whatever comes your way, you know, obviously be very grateful for that and, and, and acknowledge that. But there's a lot of value in that, I think. Absolutely. That's great. Yeah. Also, um, if you're a, a regular at a coffee shop, especially mm-hmm. one that isn't like a Starbucks, but like if you have a local coffee shop, they 
probably love you for a lot of reasons and there's a lot you can do with that like Mm -hmm. I had a coffee shop that was across from my apartment and I never unfortunately like I moved before I could cash in on this but like I had a really good relationship with the people there I was there every day writing they knew I was a filmmaker they always wanted to know what I was working on and at one point I was just chatting with one of them at the register and one of the owners of the shop was like hey by the way we have a projector if you ever want to do like a like a screening or something in here we'd love to show your work like we you know we love what you're working on I was like yeah. Thank you. That's such a random. You want to screen my work? Yeah. Um, and also, they they donated coffee once to a morning of shoots. Uh, you know, and, and providing coffee for a morning is not a lot off of their back, but it's you know really appreciative for you and your crew. It, it makes a huge difference. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. What Fulcott was saying, like the relationships you have with all sorts of people, anyone you have a good relationship with, and you know seems excited about what you're working on, hey, maybe they'll be able to help you out. You know, and again, don't expect it. I wasn't gonna walk in there and say like I tip you every time I come in. Mm-hmm. Where's my free coffee you know like it's not like that but as you talk to people you realize like people want to be generous they want to be involved they want to support cool things happening around them so be open to that and yeah put it into the universe and you never know what it's it's the genuine relationships that matter because i think you you know you can't like you said you can't just walk in and demand things from people and i think that also goes with being an artist or being in the film world is we we should be interacting with people we should be building relationships constantly so you shouldn't be doing it just for the motive of like getting something out of it in the end sure mm-hmm. right so like if you're going to your local coffee shop you're going there anyway right like i mean that's also that's a great example because that's how i i, I directed and, and produced a short film a few years ago and it was at it was all set at a local uh, mexican restaurant in my like two blocks from me and you know i'd gone there several times i knew the owner and it was a great setting for my film and i i actually was ready to like pay them something for the location and he was like you know what it's fine as long as you put our branding in the film somewhere i'm like easy done you know and then <laughs> and then i mean i had to get insurance also like i had to cover their insurance but like but they didn't charge me anything to use the space for three days they gave me the restaurant for three days people who don't make movies are really excited about being Mm -hmm. part of them and so if you have a relationship with them and and they understand that there is value potentially in being part of the project then they probably are very willing to offer what they have yeah don't feel don't feel weird about it like ask for help if you need help ask for help and you know people aren't going to think that you're a grifter or lesser than as long as you are open and honest I have this really cool thing I want to do. These are the three things I'm missing. Does anyone have a lead for me? People yeah. will come through for you. And, you know, sometimes bartering helps too, you know. I mean, every, mm-hmm. everything is a two-way street. So, like, you should be willing to help the other person out if they're helping you with something. You know, whether it's in that moment or, you know, in the future at some point, that that's really important too. Absolutely. Yeah. So before we wrap up, is there anything you want to plug? <laughs> Anything you want to plug? Yeah, any Where project. can people find you? What do you want to brag about? This is your shameless self-promo moment. Wait, when does this come out? This is coming out in December. At that point, um, I don't know if I want to plug any particular project because everything is kind of in a, in a holding pattern right now. Sure. Um, sure. But, you know, I I guess I'll plug myself. Great. Um, Ooh, you know, scandalous. I Explicit. Know, I know. Oops. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, I, there's... As a producer, I've also had to like diversify a lot in terms of what I'm doing, especially during COVID. So I have, you know, I, like I said, I, I get hired for budgeting. I get hired for even social media sometimes. I get hired for impact campaigns and like a bunch of other things. So 
I'm around if anyone wants to collaborate, talk to me for their projects, uh, even if it's specific parts of their projects, not the entire shoot. I do a lot of those things. I also work internationally. I love collaborating with people in different places and I love new challenges. So if anyone has something fun and interesting they want to talk to me about, hit me up. My website is my is my full name. So it's polkitdata.com, P-U-L-K-I-T-D-A-T-T-A.com. And we'll put the link to that in our episode description. Awesome. Yep. So anyone listening who's like, this guy sounds awesome and I don't even have a car chase in my script. If you want to reach out, we've got the that link for you in the, video desc- or the episode description. Yes. Thank you. That's right. All right. And thank you so much for joining us for this This has been really fun. Thanks for having me. All right. And our outro. So thanks so much to Kelsey Rauber for our theme music and Kaylee Brown for our podcast art. And to all of you for listening. Links, as always, are in our episode description. And remember to subscribe so you get notified of all our new episodes dropping every other Thursday from now on. And rate us five stars on iTunes if you haven't already. It really does help us out. So please send us a five-star review. And if you say something nice to us, we'll feel good for like a whole 24 hours. And don't don't we all just need to feel good for a whole 24 hours? Please help your local filmmaker and make them feel good for 24 hours. Next episode, we will be covering our very first projects as we say goodbye to 2020. So be sure to tune in. Christina and I keep saying, hey, we're going to talk about this in a future episode. Well, this is the future episode. So that's coming up in two weeks. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks again to Polkit for joining us today. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.